0: Hey, this is Louis Grenier here, and welcome to The Human Strike Back by Hotjar, a weekly podcast designed to help you succeed by putting people first. I have the pleasure to co-host this podcast with my fellow human and colleague, David Peralta. Each week, we're going to learn the stories of other humans who are making a difference and thriving by putting their users, customers, and team members first, so you can learn from them, take action, and grow. On to the podcast. Hey, it's Louis here. And in the third episode of the Human Strike Pack, I'm talking to our very own David Darmanin, founder and CEO of Hotjar. In this episode, you're going to learn how to turn your early users into super loyal customers. All of those learnings come from how David and his four co-founders launched Hotjar as a beta back in 2014. And if you've been following the launch of the Human Strike Pack, you'll probably spot a lot of similarities between the launch of Hodjar three years ago, and the launch of this podcast. So what are we going to talk about, my fellow human? Well, we're going to talk about what David Damanin learned from two startup ideas that failed, why he and his co-founders chose to build a landing page before building a product, how they slowly gave access to users, collected feedback from them, and created wow moments, how treating a single beta user like an enterprise-level client led to Hodjar's largest six-figure-a-year customer, and finally, why David still receives three years after launch emails from people who took part in the beta. This episode is really packed with actionable advice to succeed by putting people first. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. So some of you might have heard of Hotjar before, right? And that might be because of our launch story, the way we managed to get 18,000 people to sign up into our product before it was even live. And the way we got 7,000 people actively using Hotjar before it was even launched officially. And that was thanks to a referral program. So a lot of people still think that the reason why Hotjar is today and so successful is because of this referral program. But there's a big but. There is a more human side of the story that we believe is the main reason why even three years after There is such, we have such an amazing community of customers and fans, and that's something that we are really, really proud of and and thankful for. So we hope that the story we're going to tell you now, uh, we hope that this story will inspire you to try and do the same thing in your business and to apply the learnings that we're going to give you uh, today. So let's get started. This story brings us back to September 2014. Uh, so that was three years ago in, um, where, when we are recording this, uh, this episode. And in Hoja, you guys were five co-founders, right? Yes, five co-founders. And did you have any, was there any employee at this stage uh, outside of the five co-founders?
1: Yeah, actually, I think it was a little bit earlier than September. I think it was maybe around July or August, but anyway, it's very close. But the reason why I mention it, because I remember that we incorporated around June and as of July, Three of us were employed.
0: Right. So at, at this stage, before you guys decided to launch this referral program and make this tool available to people, you, you basically were working on the first version of the software, right? Yes. So the five of you, only the five of you were working on, on, on this first version. And can you tell us briefly about the five people?
1: So, yeah, the reason why I remember the three is because actually I wasn't employed. So for the first six months of running our job, I was actually still working as a consultant and bringing funds from my consultancy work into the company to pay for the salaries which is obviously not the ideal way of doing things because that was frustrating not being able to work as much as the others uh, but yeah the other guys we had jonathan uh valla who was doing uh all design work and and front-endish works he assessed html we had mark who was doing more front-end front mark von brockdorf in terms of like how recordings were played and all that stuff and then the backend, the architecture, how all the data was stored and then like queried, that was Eric Naslund. And then Johan Malberg is also one of the co-founders, but he wasn't employed, but he and I were on the side. And when we had time, and we had a lot of time back then, uh, <laughs> we were talking business and marketing, but mainly marketing on a tactical level, like the referral program and all that stuff.
0: Right, so to summarize the two of you, Uh, Johan and yourself were more marketing and business while the three others were more like tech product, and engineering, right? So let's paint this picture again. You had, you, you guys started to work together, you met, uh, from a past, uh, previous companies you all work, uh, work for, and you founded the, you, uh, participated in the salaries of, of, of the, the three, uh, three of the co-founders yourself. You paid their salary, um, and you guys worked on the, on the first version of the software. And you decided also to have this page that was kind of announcing the early access to to Hodger. So you're already starting to collect emails, right?
1: Yeah, it was our homepage. Our homepage we decided would be one simple page, which was just, here's what's coming if you want it, sign up.
0: So at this stage, most companies would probably have just launched publicly after working years or even maybe five years or so on the software until it was perfect and then launch it publicly expecting this huge wave of of people, you know, signing up and all. But this isn't what you've done, right? This isn't what you've done at all. So can you talk me through why you guys decided to to launch a beta program and actually give access very early uh, to users?
1: Well, there was one practical reason which I mentioned this a few times. I, I was coming from two failures, right? Two startup ideas that didn't get traction. So I wanted to quickly get traction. I had a fairly good idea that this would work because now compared to the other two projects, which were maybe more niche ideas, this was a much bigger idea. So in my mind, the challenge was less, is this a good idea, which was what I had before as a challenge. And it was more a challenge of, will I get more enough people behind this idea, which I knew was a good idea that, that could grow. So it was finally the first time probably in my life that I got the market aspect right. And I was lucky enough to have the experience to leverage what I had learned so far to make that launch happen. There's two data points that I used to, make to, to kind of do the referral program. One was the startup that we worked on before, which was called Guest Lab. It was like a loyalty program for retail, is actually something I've never said before, I think, but it was, a, it was like a loyalty program kind of uh, marketing automation platform for small like restaurants and whatnot. And through this software, through this tiny startup that didn't succeed, we learned because we did a lot of tests about what people liked and what they did in order to get points and refer people and all these things. So we saw the power of that. Then the second aspect was reading the book, which was recommended to me when I was working at Conversion Rate Experts as a consultant, which is called Influence, right, Uh, by Cialdini. Um, I know it it gets mentioned a lot, but it's a book that probably every marketer should read once a year. Not just marketers, even product people, but anyway. But it was this concept of understanding and really getting into my mind the idea of creating scarcity, uh, this concept of giving something for free. And these are all critical ingredients to a great launch, in our case, more of a soft launch.
0: This is this is amazing because it is true, uh, David, that I've never heard you saying any of that, the first part specifically about guest lab. So you guys learned, you learned specifically the, the way people think uh, in, inside a referral program of some sort, inside a, uh, inside a loyalty program, how people behave with points and what is needed for them to move to the next steps and stuff like this. So... You had this previous knowledge. You also learned a lot from your consulting gig that you mentioned and past experiences, but you were a consultant in conversion rate optimization and you learned quite a lot from that as well. And the third resource you're mentioning right now is Influence uh, by Robert Cialdini. So you you had all of that in mind and instead of working for months and even years on the product. You get this, you guys decided, you know what, let's improve this product quickly. Let's maximize the learnings we can have. Let's show the, the product, even if it's not perfect to users. Um, so you had this beta program, so you, you decided to give access to a few people who actually signed up from the early access page to the software. Do you actually remember the very first day you opened the gates? How did it happen?
1: September 2014. Yeah, I remember. I'll never forget that day. Why not? Well, actually, are we talking about... uh, Yeah, so when we started inviting the first people from the list, right? I remember it because we were literally shitting ourselves. So because at this point, we're getting traction, people signing up. I remember in the admin, we had this like graph where we said we we set a goal. Our first goal was 20,000, I think, people signing up. So they had this small graph filling up. So it's starting to fill up and we're like, okay, we need to start inviting people. So that first September was, was exciting, but I'm going to take a step back here. This whole obsession about the beta idea came years before. Again, this is something I've never said it to anyone. So I, I used to, this is going to be an interesting <laughs> session. It mean, it's going to be interesting. So way back um, in 2007, I was working for a software company and I remember I think I've always been obsessed with books now that I realize like I just started buying any book I could find uh, about the 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 subject matter I was in I'd never worked in a like in a software company before and one of the books that I bought I remember this was the time that Google had had was doing like all these be- their first betas and everyone was excited about Gmail beta and all, all these things and I was I was like okay so what's in it why is why are they doing this so I remember buying this book and it was exactly about how to run a beta program. And when I read it, I was like, oh my God, this is like fucking genius. Like basically you invite, when you think about it, it's the first time any of us learned about the idea of a beta is quite cool, which is the concept of invite people to use something you've built at no cost. They take all the risk of using something that is completely untested and just thrown out into the field. And they basically give you feedback for free. It's like, holy shit, like people actually do this and I remember I didn't manage, though, to persuade my company back then to do it. So it was always kind of on my bucket list of like, I wanted to do that because I thought it was such a, a wonderful idea.
0: This is great. This is great. I'm, I'm getting further into your mind, David. Uh, one day I'll be able to think like you somehow. <laughs> I hope <not>. um, <laughs> Do you remember the name of the book you're mentioning?
1: No, but it's just like how to run a beta or something like that. So, but I'll, I'll try and find it.
0: We will find it and we will add it to the to the notes inside the article, and uh, we'll make sure to 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 mention every single resource that we are mentioning in this episode. So let me take st- take a step back a little bit and say, this was clearly a very nice idea to to show that to people to 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 get early feedback, but. A lot of people, as I said in the introduction, think that the reason why Hoja is Hoja today is because of this smart referral program where people could win prizes in order for uh, when they referred their friends and colleagues. But this isn't really the only reason. And we, f- we feel actually that there's a more human side to it that is much, much bigger than all of that. And you started to hint about it. so. Let's take this, this first day, you were literally cheating yourselves. You were really scared of like what you were actually about to do. Do you remember how many people you opened the gate to? Like how many people did you give access to the first day?
1: I think we started with like five cause we were really scared.
0: <laughs> wow. You were really scared. Yeah. I was expecting 50, but five. No,
1: no, we started with five.
0: Okay. So what happened you sent us five and then what happened?
1: Yeah. I sent five and like a couple of them signed up really quickly. And and obviously we were all like ready on intercom, like everyone was like ready to like and observing. It's like okay, they created a heat map, yay! Um, so so, but we were ready, and and the, the, in, instantly we got a good vibe because when they joined, they're like, yeah, we like this, This is cool. The general idea was there's some things that need to be improved, but we we love it. And this is the point where we had the Trello board ready, and we started jotting down every idea that that came in.
0: This is it. So you you started to say it. So not only did you guys, that worked really well, the referral program or the beta opening, the beta worked really well, but the mechanism that we really want to talk about today and the, the core of this story is that you guys communicated with users very openly. You guys um, accepted feedback. So you weren't like, this is the, the product, you have to use it and that's it. We don't want to hear from you. You more than welcome the feedback back. So You gave access to beta, people could reply, people could really talk to you, and you made a point at replying to every single people who sent you emails, right?
1: Yes, essentially it was me, Jonathan, and Johan. We were like full time on Intercom, um, just replying to everyone. And I remember the loop kicked in quite quickly. I think someone asked, suggested something, like, because then obviously we didn't stay at five for a very long time. So then we're like, okay, this works. Like, let's invite another 10. Um, but it's still, we were quite slow to bring in people. But I think very early on, someone recommended something. We're like, that makes sense. We should have done that. And we did it. And then we reached out. It's like, yo, we did it. And it was like, what? <laughs> They're like, you already did it? So that's fucking insane. And we noticed that they were using words like wow or awesome. And we're like, hold on. There's a wow moment here. And this is the point where we said okay let's 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 really take this seriously right like let's do and it's interesting you know i jump around a little bit but like the co-founders we're all achievers in our strengths so i think this this was a kind of good combo that we got a reward when we did something and we're like ooh, we want more you know what i mean so so like okay this over over weeks we're like this trello board We put in all the ideas, we, as a comment, like we were trying to figure out how we're going to hack Trello. So it tells us what what are the important things, but we can also go back and then tell people that we did something. So what we did was we'd copy, we figured out that the URL of Intercom is kind of a link directly to the conversation and to the person. So we copied the URL of Intercom and put it as a comment in Trello, because Trello for a card shows you the count of comments. So then we know how many people have voted for something with their intercom URL.
0: <laughs> wow!
1: And then when we ship something, we'd open all those links up in a browser and go in and speak to everyone, tell them that we did it. This eventually stopped when we had Trello cards with like 1,300 comments.
0: Yeah, but this is the beauty of it. So. You, you welcome the feedback and to summarize, you use Trello and the Trello board to collect the feedback. You use Intercom to communicate with users. And you obviously had Eric, Jonathan, uh, Mark working hard to make the changes. And I remember talking to Eric recently where he said that basically as soon as you had something, a suggestions or a bug, boom, you, you guys were just fixing it straight away. And that really, started to create this 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 two-way communication where people were saying, whoa, as you mentioned. So that was kind of the first ingredient of this story we wanted to share with you today. And this is kind of a very human way of thinking. It's not about hacking your growth through referral programs. It's about talking to people face-to-face, not face-to-face, but almost face-to-face over intercom and getting their feedback, right? And the second thing that I found to be extremely interesting, which I think uh, you guys will also find interesting, is you started to communicate with the beta users weekly, right? You, you used to send an email weekly to those people.
1: Yes. So every week I would summarize what we've done, what we're excited about, what challenges we had. Um, and this was extremely effective. Probably a pity that we stopped doing it, but that's that's the a problem when you become CEO of a relatively bigger team.
0: Right, so before we say the type of, uh, we talk about the type of things you were, you were saying in these emails, just quickly, uh, do you remember any type of feedback that you guys got from like, the conversation you had that really, really surprised you that was completely outside of what you were thinking Hoja was or Hoja was doing?
1: I don't even know where to start. There were so many. Um, we, we were doing two things, first off. We were emailing, this was quite a lot of work, right? So we were emailing anyone who was in the beta, participating in it. Uh, And every week we're bringing in more and more people, right? So we automated onboarding emails. And then I was emailing every week people in the beta to tell them what's happening, what we did. And also it's to link to the product roadmap where we would put, we list down what people are mainly asking for based on the Trello board. Like this is what we're going to fix based on the Trello board, which is again, very human, like as you described, a very human way of approaching it, right? Here's what we're doing. Here's what you're saying. Here's how we're going to get it done. But we're also... I was very aware of these thousands of people waiting in the list and getting impatient and getting pissed off. Right. So I was also emailing every, every week. Like we were thinking like, let's get into the head of these people. Like they're going to be pissed off because people are going to saying, we love hot This is cool. So I was emailing also the people that are still waiting, explaining every week, reiterating why they have to wait, what's happening, what they're doing and why, why it's worth the wait and why, what they're going to get is kind of better. Now, there were two sources of things that were coming. People waiting were pissed off. And we found just saying, hey, we know it. We get it. You're right. It's horrible. However, kind of, we've taken a note that when we open up again, we'll keep you in mind to kind of try and give you a spot. Like there's just managing that expectations and, and like just replying to people. And then on the product side, we had first off a lot of ideas which were kind of not necessarily big. But there's like aha moments, or maybe more like oh shit moments, where like, how did we not think of that? So an example could be like just technology, the way something was being rendered, and and then and then I remember we used to have very often these moments where we would say, See, see how it's important to just listen to one user? Because this problem is actually being experienced by many people, but no one is reporting it. And we realized that it's dangerous to, to, to rely only on the numbers, but there is some quality in, in kind of sometimes listening to just specific users say something specific, which highlights a big problem. But I'd say resoundedly, like the most interesting experience we had with this whole back and forth communication was first off, we realized because we were speaking to people so intently that they were agencies. Right. So we could have easily not even realized that there were a lot of agencies. Back then it was half, half, half agencies, half in-house. And then it crossed my mind like we really don't know how these agencies want to use the product. So we're like, let's use Hodjar. Like said, we have an opportunity to use our surveys. Let's send out a survey to agencies. Right. Well, actually, first things first, we said, okay, let's ask people whether they're serve uh, agencies or not. So we quickly changed the sign up process to say are you using Hotjar with clients or not? We also popped up something for existing users to say, are you using Hotjar with the clients or not? So just so we cleanse out the whole database, right? Get get everyone into the right bucket. And then we sent out the survey asking, who are you? How many clients do you have? How do you want to use Hotjar? And I'll never forget the biggest learning curve for, the, for us here was we assumed that they would want the client to pay for Hotjar, but indeed Instead, they wanted to pay for the client using jar, because they wanted to bill for them, and this had a huge impact on the way we built jar going forward.
0: Right. So this is amazing insight, as as you can hear uh, or even or even see. Um, so to take a step back, the way we communicated with users from uh, from from like from from day one, literally from day one, really brought us clarity, knowing you know. Uh, avoiding making mistakes in building the product, avoiding making assumptions, and also, I believe, building trust with those people, right? Because when you woe them saying, when they say and spend their time testing a product, saying, hey, this isn't working, and they receive an email an hour after saying, hey, this is fixed, this is how you create long-time fans and uh, long-time customers, right? Um, so this is absolutely uh, amazing insight. So just to summarize a little bit the, the impact that this program had, this beta program had, uh, it lasted seven months. You guys had 6,646 conversations. Yes. 43,000 plus hit maps created. More than 12 million recordings created. Um and more than four hundred and twenty four thousand polls and surveys, um all within seven months, all within from people who are just happy to help out, testing a product, using it, getting value out of it. Uh so I think this is really something that we can all take away as the story, as the overall story, to communicate with users, with your people, to care about what they have to say, because in return You get a lot back. You get a lot back. And let's talk let's talk about today actually the consequences of 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 what you guys done what you guys did sorry three years ago is that we are still kind of uh getting the rewards out of it right we still have how many customers do we have now how many sites do we have now set up on on
1: sixteen thousand five hundred customers over that and we have i think we're around three hundred thousand sites sending data to hardjar, which is impressive right. Um, just today I got an email and I receive this quite often, but today I got an email saying, Hey, like an email directly to my inbox. Um, Hey, it's from this brand. Um, I've been with you since the, the beta days. Like I get this a lot. We've been with you from the beta time. I just changed job. Uh, I brought our with me. We're consolidating. Who can we speak to about setting up an enterprise account for the whole business? So we get these quite often.
0: So if there is an example of the value and the power of doing uh, such, a, such a thing, this is it, right? Yeah.
1: I'll add one more thing, actually, which is also another interesting story, um, which is the power of this human connection, right? Which is something I really, really believe in. I think the author of Delivering Happiness, I forgot the name, uh, the CEO of Zappos, he goes into uh, this thing about hum- the the power of human connection. We early on decided that we would treat everyone joining our journey the same way, whether you're from a big brand or a Gmail address. Like we decided, we'd never make a distinction. In fact, we realized that this communication with our users was so powerful, it was generating so much kind of connection with us that I actually wrote the ethos, an ethos which is like um, like uh, like a list of commandments of how we treat our users. And in it, we said our users are our gods which which might sound extreme, but it's simple. Our existence depends on them. If they hadn't taken the risk, they risked their jobs, their time, their money, their resources to use us. So they are our creators. Right? And it's a very humble way of thinking. But it's this thinking which actually landed us till today our biggest customer. So... Someone who worked at our biggest customer, not they're so big that we not allowed to use their name. That's how big they are. Yeah. Literally. But they, they pay us six digits. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, six digits per year. And they have over 1,000 users in their Hodger account. Again, something I've never said before. This story, this person who brought us into this business joined in the beta with a Gmail address, right? And we treated this person as if they were an enterprise, so, so yeah, it works.
0: There are two examples of the power of connecting with people and caring deeply uh, what they have to think. How would you convince people who might be very inspired by what you're saying, but might be still scared of actually being this vulnerable and, and opening up this way and communicate openly with, with, with users or people in general?
1: It's, it's simple. You just can't afford to do it today. Like, if you want to fail, don't do it. Like, someone else is going to do it. So you, you have to, you cannot afford not to.
0: You mentioned resources throughout the talk, uh, throughout this, this, this episode that might be useful for people who want to pull this off, who wants to use the same thing. So you mentioned Intercom, Trello, you mentioned the book uh, Persuasion Influence uh, from uh, Robert Cialdini. You mentioned this beta book uh, from Google that we will give you details uh, in, the, in the article uh, um, and in the description. Is, are there any other resources you would recommend people?
1: Definitely, on this specific topic of interacting with people and and the the importance of the service aspect of anything that you're building, I highly recommend reading Selling the Invisible, which is a great book, um, and also Purple Cow. I think even though it's not directly related to this, it just like it's having read that book. Thank you, Seth Godin. Uh, it just allowed us to identify these opportunities, which is. For example, in our industry, most people provided shit service, right? So the fact that this was working well for us, and then the fact that no one else did it, that's like a huge opportunity. And let's face it, we're really raising the bar in terms of expectations, right? But it all comes back to this wow moments, right? So it's learning and then creating wow moments. So to me, it's those two things: feedback and and like exceeding expectations. Like, think about it. When's the last time? you call the service provider, for example, like your ISP, right? And they replied within five seconds. You're like, wow, like they actually did what I wanted them to do. Right. So it's all about like exceeding the expectations you have from a brand. And that creates a very memorable moment.
0: Well, David, thank you so much for sharing all of those small stories within the story. Um, you can learn more about this actual story that David wrote about in the Hodjar uh, blog post story part 1. You can just google that Hodjar part 1 and you will find it. Uh thank you so much once again David for your time. Pleasure. Thanks for listening my fellow human. We know how fast-paced life is. And so if you're listening to this on your daily commute or while running or even cooking, you can always go to hodjar.com/humans and look for today's episode. That's where you'll find access to all the resources and humans we talked about, the full transcript of the conversation, and even links to related episodes. And if you like today's episode, please help us out by leaving your honest rating and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. The more honest feedback we get, the more we can improve the show for you, and the more this podcast will be discovered by other humans. It's a win-win situation. Until next time, take care and be human.